Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. We have two readings today. The first one is from Matthew chapter 4, which you will find on page 977 if you want to see it in the Church Bibles, but it will be on the screen, I think. And the second one will be from 1 Peter chapter 5, and you'll find that on page 1231. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. And 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
Alex, I want to we could put the first slide up. Uh, shortly after I left school, I um, wanted to get qualified as a windsurfing instructor. And I did my course in this place. Uh, anyone know where this is, by the way? Plas Menai. So this is the top of Wales, just before you get to Anglesey, on the Menai Straits. And uh, in many ways, it's a, it's a brilliant place to learn windsurfing because you have uh, the sort of mainland shore and you've got Anglesey on the other side. So, you know, you're not going to end up just drifting off into the, the Irish Sea or whatever. It's usually quite flat uh, because it's kind of protected. Um, and so because the wind just tends to blow down the straits, you, pretty much every time what you do is you, you pick a mark on the other side uh, and you aim for that. You, you sail. And then just short of the other side, you go around and you come back. And all that's fine. Except, except, it's also tidal. Now, that part of it is hardly visible. You can't really see the, the water moving. But at its peak between high and low tide, the water actually flows very fast through the straits. So what actually happens is this. Um, you're, you're on your windsurf, you pick your landmark... And, uh, you know, you get yourself sorted, get the, get the sail going. And you think you're pretty much going in a straight line. And so 15 seconds later, when you, you have another look, see where you're heading, you're looking at a completely different thing, completely different part of the terrain. And you sort of, you know, recalculate your heading, kind of point it upwind again, carry on. The next time you look up, again, you're somewhere completely different. It's totally disorientating. And if you're not careful, in fact, uh, you can, particularly on the days where the tide and the wind are in the same direction, you can end up unable to get home. So if you want to avoid walking all your kit through the reeds for half a mile uh, at the end of the session, here's the thing. It's not just good enough to know how to windsurf. You need to understand the tides, and you need to pay attention and adjust accordingly. Now today, we come to this last phrase in the Lord's Prayer. And everything that we've had up till now, if you like, has been focused on harnessing the power and intervention of God, the wind in the sail of the Christian, if you like. But now the prayer recognizes that there is another force at work in the life of the Christian. There is the often unseen but disorienting tidal stream of temptation and evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I hope that as we think about this this morning, uh, we're going to want to take the dangers just as seriously as the Lord does in his prayer, but also that we're going to find a new sense of direction and purpose and confidence in asking Jesus, our victor, to help us overcome. So, First of all, first point, evil is real. Evil is real. There are parts of the Lord's Prayer that we kind of need no convincing of our need. We know we need our daily bread. We know we need our sins forgiven. But this final phrase uh, brings particular and new challenge for modern Westerners. You can't really pray this phrase without believing that we are engaged in some kind of spiritual warfare against sin and the devil. And that's the kind of thing, I mean, it's, it's certainly not your opening conversation at the canteen with someone you haven't met before, is it, in our, in our culture. But if we're going to pray, 
deliver us from evil. We've we got to work out, what do we think? What is evil? What is it? Well, I guess if we asked our friends, these are the kind of answers that they might give. Uh, to some over there, uh, spiritual evil is something we all need to get over. Perhaps they feel it's been used to kind of control people wrongly with fear. And so now you can buy a cheap outfit on Amazon. You can dress up your kids in red horns and trident because I guess people think it's just not a big deal. Not up here, but uh, I was reminded again today, uh, um, one of my very minor claims to fame is that I was at school with a guy who went on to become a sort of minor pop star. You won't have heard of him, quite minor. Uh, but anyway, uh, I remember after a couple of years, a friend uh, said, well, let's go and let's go and listen to, to Frank sing at one of his gigs. And we went down to Bristol and we listened to him and uh, he had this song and the, the words of it were like this, I'm definitely going to hell but I'll have all the best stories to tell. And I looked around the room, and there were 500 kids just absolutely singing this full on. And you, you, you understand what they mean, don't they? Basically, the problem, with, they, problem they have with evil is they reckon what we used to call bad is actually, that's the good stuff. That's, that's the real flourishing. That's the fun stuff. So that may be one version. Another version up here, it may be that we think of spiritual evil as something serious, but mainly something we imagine. So evil is Darth Vader, or Voldemort, or the Balrog. Uh, it's what makes the great stories of life captivating. But if it's only something we imagine, then here's the thing. When the story is over, the dragon is gone. But I think most of us who've read the history books and have been around a little bit in life, we know that the dragon doesn't disappear when you close the story. Many of us would say evil is a very real thing. Perhaps we think uh, of human and social problems, corporate greed uh, up there, or, or perhaps the needless suffering of war. Thank you, Alex. Now, all of that stuff is included uh, in the Christian understanding, but the Bible's picture is much bigger, uh, and it includes a spiritual element. So we have right and wrong, we have social ills, corrupt systems, but there are angels and demons. There's a real God and there's a real enemy, Satan. In fact, this is, this is what Christians over time have kind of come up with as, a, as our sort of account of evil, threefold account of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Thomas Aquinas uh, famously said, yeah, these are the implacable enemies of the soul. Now, we haven't got time to explore all this right now, but uh, this is the background to what we're praying here in the Lord's Prayer. We, we face the world, negative influences, godless values in the world around us. We, we face our flesh as our own weakness, our own sinful desires. We face the devil, a spiritual enemy, strategizing against us. And all of this together makes up the stream that takes us off course in the Christian life. This is the reality that Jesus tells us we need help for. Thank you, Alex. We could go back to the uh, starting, evil is real. So what exactly are we praying for then in the Lord's Prayer? Let's just break it down because I think actually there are some important questions that come out of it. Jesus says, and we've been taught, haven't we, to pray, lead us not into temptation. And the first thing to note here is that word temptation really means trial or testing in the original. So um, we are praying that God would deliver us from situations where we, we are tempted, but we're also praying for hardship more generally. And actually, if you think about that for a little bit, that raises some other questions. 
If you've read your Bible, you know that trials and tests are the way that our faith is refined and strengthened. Now, if that's the case, why does Jesus say we should ask God not to lead us into them? It's a bit strange, isn't it? Why not that stop us from growing? Well, here I think we come into one of those really important things about the balance of the Christian life. So yes, suffering is an unavoidable part of the Christian life. And yes, God can turn it for good in our lives. But we are not expected to ask for suffering. We're not expected to get ourselves into some kind of weird headspace where we actually have to say that suffering is good in itself. Think of Jesus. He was faced with his impending crucifixion, and he said to God, take it away. I don't want that pain, but your will be done. So I think we too can ask God to take away our trials, uh, whatever that may be for you. Perhaps there's the discomfort of an impending medical procedure. Perhaps you've got some intractable difficulty at work. Uh, Perhaps you've got a conversation that you're worried is going to turn nasty. Perhaps there's a painful conflict in your family. Lord, lead us not into those trials. So that's one question. The second question we may ask, in in those cases where this does actually refer to temptation, being tempted, why do we even have to ask God not to lead us there? Have you thought about that? What are we actually saying? Are we saying if we don't ask God, would he otherwise lead us there? Is that something he would do unless we ask him not to? Well, if we read the rest of the New Testament, the, the letter of James, for example, makes really clear God doesn't tempt anyone. And that's a really important thing to say because I think sometimes we labor under the unbiblical notion that God is sort of waiting to trip us up like some, you know, cunning hidden speed camera. God is not like that. James says, actually, it's our sinful desires, our flesh that draws us into sin is not God. But we do know there are situations which increase temptation, don't we? So let's just think about that for a moment. And if any of these kind of fit for you, then, you know, apply it to your situation. Last night, Emily and I were having a discussion. Uh, And this discussion looked like it was rapidly turning into an argument. I'm sure you're very unfamiliar with that concept. So uh, Emily very wisely said to me, look, we're tired right now. We're not really in a place to talk about this well, so, so let's not do it now. So lead us not into temptation may basically mean, Lord, help me avoid continuing in this conversation. I'm ashamed to say she was the one that stopped and I tried to have another go. Um, <clears throat> remember, Jesus, uh, Satan came to Jesus when he was hungry. Satan uses our human weaknesses to exploit them. Here's another one. A number of us will have had to um, fill in tax returns recently. Lead us not into temptation. Well, that may mean, Lord, help me come up with some really robust way that I know I'm not fiddling the tax man. Help me keep good records so I'm being honest and so I pay what's due. Uh, Or lead us not into temptation may mean show me how patterns of behavior have led me into sin. Because often the thing that happens is we have a series of, frankly, perfectly acceptable decisions in isolation that add up to sin. So I was saying it earlier. uh, If you want to ask my family, they can tell you this is my struggle right here. I get sunk in my social media and I'll be between 
tasks or I'm looking for distraction and I pick up my phone and I watch a short humorous video of a dog with a human voiceover or something like that, or I follow some clickbait about historic aircraft or I start doom scrolling through the latest updates on the Church of England's latest woes. Now, look, none of those things are inherently sinful choices. But at some point, my endless swiping becomes sinful. It is the reason for my neglect of my other responsibilities. It's the excuse that I give myself for not having delivered on a promise. It's the reason I'm not present to my kids when I should be. I abdicate my, 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 my duty as a father. It's the reason I'm not helping in the house like I should be, because I'm too busy doing nothing. It's perhaps why I'm not honoring my employer or my colleagues, because I'm distracted. So sometimes it's patterns that we need to watch out, and the Lord needs to lead us away from those, and we need to be listening out for his guidance. Last one. Um, as we discussed this scripture with the ministry and team on, on Monday, um, we were reminded again that somehow temptation so often just gets reduced to sex and chocolate. Basically, that's what we talk about. Now, temptation isn't just about sex and chocolate. And in fact, frankly, I think the Lord cares a lot less about our waistlines and our chocolate consumption than sometimes we do. But sex is a big deal. Sexual immorality, sexual temptation, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Lead us not into temptation. That means help, help us avoid the circumstances in which that's going to be an issue. Perhaps, Lord, help me take care of the intensity of a particular relationship that I might be developing outside of marriage. It may mean, you know, help me avoid those websites or those apps on my phone where I'm likely to see suggestive sexualized images and one thing leads on to the next. It may mean, you know, help me find a way to deal with those times of the day or those places where I feel, you know, some combination of loneliness or idleness or emotional vulnerability or the company that I keep is leading me into sin. That's the kind of thing that lead us not into temptation might look like. Now, we could go on for a long time on this subject, couldn't we? But I wonder, as we've been thinking about that, what is it for you? What does it mean for you to pray to the Lord, lead me not into temptation? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because evil is real. Evil is real. But let's not stop there. As with every battle, we do need to know our enemy. But the purpose of the Lord's Prayer is surely not to just make us quake in fear. It's to get us on our feet and into the battle with the best help that we can find. And so we are to ask Jesus the victor. Ask Jesus the victor. We don't face temptation alone. We face it with the Lord and we can ask for his help. And that is amazing because the Lord is the one who faced temptation, yet he was without sin. The devil threw his best at him, and yet Jesus did not crumble. And that is the one that we believe we have access to, and access to his power. Now, I think we need to get the balance right here. Um, at different points in Christian history, certain uh, figures have said, look, uh, with Jesus' power, we can be totally done with sin. Um, and uh, history has proven that that is not the case, even for those individuals. We cannot be done with sin. It will be with us all the way through our lives, and sometimes we'll win, and sometimes we will lose. And yet, it is also not helpful, and I don't think biblical, to say, well, there's no point trying. There's no point even dreaming of change, because we're just broken, and you know nothing's going to change. 
the scripture gives us hope for the intervention and power of God to defeat sin. So we pray to ask God to join us, Jesus to join us in the battle against it. Now, how, what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, let's go back to Jesus being tempted in the desert. Do you remember Satan said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. We try to exploit Jesus' human desire and weakness. And Jesus responded with the word of God. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. He knew that God's word was the thing that was going to sustain him. The next one, Satan said to Jesus, throw yourself off the temple. Do you remember? The angels will catch you. And actually, he was quoting the Bible at Jesus at that particular moment. And there's a, there's, a, there's a thing to watch out for. Satan loves to twist the scriptures to make them say something they don't quite say. So we pray against that kind of presumption that we'll take a bit of scripture and use it to justify our own sinful actions. And then the third time, do you remember, Satan says to Jesus, look, all, this, all the kingdoms of the world, they can all be yours if you will just bow down to me. And that is classic Satan. He loves to bargain with evil. You know, have you ever, have you ever experienced that? You know, Satan says to you, hey, look, just give me a little bit of that, you know. Just do this little bit of evil, and then you can have all of this good. It's a classic bargaining tool. But Satan is a terrorist. You don't bargain with a terrorist. Because the moment you give him something, he asks for more. So instead, we ask Jesus the victor to come into those situations. Lord, save me. Lord, save me from bargaining with Satan. I know that's something I've often done. At least this is not as bad as that, so I'll do this. And because we have Jesus, we have hope. There's that lovely verse. I'm sure uh, you know it well. Apostle John said, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Satan is the one who's in the world. He's, he's an enemy, a roaring lion, absolutely, prowling, undoubtedly. But Jesus, the one who's in us, is greater. So Satan, an enemy, but a wounded enemy. He's been, he's been limping since the cross, bleeding out. And Jesus has dealt the killer blow. And in time, he will crush him completely. And so we, we hold on to the Lord in the midst of our temptation. And so, uh, as we wrap up, we come to him in the words of the Lord's Prayer, asking for his power, looking for progress now, grateful for his forgiveness for all the many times that we have and will fail to resist, and yet also secure in the knowledge that he will perfect us in the future. So as we wrap up, I want to read again those wonderful words from 1 Peter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, rules, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, he will himself Restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, we're going to come now to uh, the Lord's Supper.
going to share together the bread and the wine to remind us, first of all, of God's grace for all the many times that we don't manage uh, to resist temptation. He forgives us and through the cross has made it possible for us to come back in relationship with him. And as we do so, we're looking for encouragement as well to continue to live his way. So first of all, we're going to come to the Lord in a prayer of confession. Uh, Please do respond in the words in bold or yellow. God, our Father, we come to you in sorrow for our sins, for turning away from you and ignoring your will for our lives. Father, forgive us, save us, and help us. For behaving just as we wish without thinking of you, Father, forgive us, save us, and help us. For failing you by what we do and think and say, Father, forgive us, save us, and help us. For letting ourselves be drawn away from you by temptations in the world about us, Father, forgive us, save us, and help us. For living as if we were ashamed to belong to your Son, Father, forgive us, save us, and help us. So may the Lord enrich us with his grace, and nourish us with his blessing. The Lord defend us in trouble and keep us from all evil. The Lord accept our prayers and absolve us from our offenses. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.